0: Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason, but how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organizations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organizations, the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michredon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't, people who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing delighted to be joined by Katie McLaughlin.
1: Katie, you are so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about today's conversation.
0: Me too. Now, Katie, it is morning wherever
1: you are. It's evening for me. Where are you? I live in Seattle, Washington. And is it wet or dry? Right now, it's dry because it's summertime. We've also been navigating smoke from the wildfires out here in the Western United States. So... Oh,
0: yeah, because I, I have this idea that Seattle is wetter than Ireland. Not that
1: I'm in Ireland these days, but is that just a... Well, honestly, my trip to Ireland in 2012 is what told me I'd be OK if I moved to Seattle <laughs> because I was there in February and it was drizzly and grey every day. I sent photos to friends and they said, but it's so grey. I was like, but it's so green and beautiful. And so... That's usually my response about Seattle as well. Oh my God,
0: who'd want to go to Ireland in February?
1: I I, I don't. <laughs> but anyway. I mean, it was more affordable and it was still wonderful. So, yeah. Oh, well,
0: it always is, Katie.
1: <laughs> okay, well, that's not why we're here
0: today. One of the things that struck me is on your LinkedIn profile, you have a job title that I've never seen before. So you say you're founder, chief strategist and transformation artist. So... What
1: is a transformation artist? So I work with companies, right? And I'm there to help them transform and transform the way they lead, the way they consider their company culture. Sometimes we'll get into processes and and so on. And as an artist myself, I have done a lot of theater in my life. I sing, I paint, I do a variety of different artistic things. I've realized that in my career, my arts and especially my theater background have been a huge asset because in business, we need more artists. There's less of a science to business and there's more of an art to business. And so when I think about what does it take to transform, we really need an artist to help lead that transformation because things are going to go in a variety of different avenues, especially as we think about Theater is kind of my primary art, and I know we'll talk a little bit about how I bring theater into my business and into my work, but if we think about theater at its core, the show must go on right? There's always that deadline of when people have bought tickets and there will be people who come to the theater. So we have to still figure it out. And sometimes that means we have to be scrappy and oh no, this thing broke. So like, can we jury rig this together with like tape and we don't have flowers anymore. Can we make those out of paper real fast, right? Like whatever that is and that scrappiness, that creativity. And also, I also think of art, and artists as very caring individuals. And that's also how I like to approach my work as well, is that there needs to be a certain amount of care involved in asking people to make changes. And so I really bring all of that, you know, so I, I kind of consider myself to be the chief transformation artist in the way that there eventually be other transformation artists, hopefully, that will join my business and help continue to cultivate that transformation in other companies.
0: Wow, I've written down so many notes from just that little segment there. But first of all, why? Why did you decide that this was the way to go forth with business?
1: So I did the like traditional quote unquote uh, career. I have a theatre degree. And I decided I didn't want to move to New York or London or what have you and try to make it as a theater artist. And so I fell on a lot of other skills that I have in project management and organization and systems and process work and in coaching, working with others, right? Leaned on all of those and fell into kind of traditional career paths. I spent a lot of time in the tech startup world, a lot of the time in people facing roles. So like learning and development as a manager, trainer, coach, et cetera. And what I learned through that experience was that many folks will talk a talk about how they're going to lead, what it's like to work at their company, what kind of opportunities are going to be available here, et cetera. And the actual lived experience was not there. And so Essentially, it was just something on paper, right, where the felt lived experience of a person stepping into a a role, a job, an office, when we could step into offices, or when we all did, you know, that was completely different. And what I realized was that it was almost like the... The disconnect that we often describe in kind of the self-help personal development world of the mind-body, that there's always this like mind-body connection. And what I was seeing was kind of this mind-body disconnect, right? If we think about the mind part being the written, the spoken piece, and then the body part being the lived felt experience. And so I realized that that integration of mind-body really needed to be happening more and that at the crux of all of the conflict I ever experienced personally in the workplace and observed in others was all emotion based and all disconnect in terms of language of how do we even talk about these kind of complex relationships that we have with each other and these emotions that are coming up and the everything else, right? And so, theater has been a really great vehicle for my own personal transformation and helping me to integrate more of that mind-body connection. I, I feel like I first developed a sense of body awareness and mind awareness of my body, I guess is a way to say that, when I was in college and I was you know studying theater and studying to be an actor and all of those things. And I was like, this was so transformative for me. I know that more people need this. I see it in the mental health world, talking a lot about that mind-body integration. And when I think about emotions, a lot of people will say, like, it's so hard to talk about emotions. And these body of theater techniques that I first studied in college and have been enamored with ever since, that I now have kind of taken parts of it and have been interpreting it for my own purposes called image theater... That is a way to speak using your body without using words. And we always talk about how an image is worth a thousand words, right? And so what we essentially do is we create our own images. We create our images with our body of here's how it really feels to be in this scenario, or here's the role I feel I have to play when I'm at work, right? And we don't have to know all the words to describe it just right, but We can express it, right? We can create that image, physically manifest it with our face, with our body expressions. And I always coach people to make that expression larger than life, because in life, when we express emotions to each other, they're usually very tiny because we're trying to like hold them in. And so I encourage people to make them larger than life so we can really see what are you trying to express. So that is a very long answer to why.
0: (laughs) It is and it isn't. No, it's absolutely not because it it was fascinating and I was gripped and and I wish that there was video to go along with this in one way because all the things that were coming up, like people keep themselves small in the workplace and how you would shrink up or if you're hiding, how you would actually literally hide behind something or if you're an angry person that maybe you're looming over others and there's exactly. a lot of power in that. And just because that's how you feel, it doesn't also mean that I suppose that's what you really
1: want to be able to do. Exactly. Yep. So, regardless what I've been, I talk a lot in my business and especially with leaders, because leaders are often the most influential towards the employee experience, right? So I try to work with leaders as much as possible, but I also work with a whole team. And especially with leaders, what I try to emphasize is that your intention matters the most, right? So like getting a handle on what is my intention, And how do I want to show up in this conversation, right? So that's the first piece. You have to start with yourself. But then the other piece of that is the impact. So there's this other human on the other side of conversations, right? They have their own experiences, their own expectations. They've been influenced by society that tells them what leaders are supposed to look like, what Issues leaders are going to bring up that you have to fight for things, whatever. Right. All of those are like societal cultural images that are perpetuated by the media, you know, and a whole variety of other sources and their experience beyond even just the societal stuff, their own personal hurt that they've experienced in the workplace from bad leaders This can even go back more like in a psychotherapy route for like their past experiences of being bullied or like having an abusive relationship. Any of those things are all going to be impacting their reaction to how you show up as a leader, regardless of your intention, right? Because your intention has a huge impact. I don't wanna poo-poo that, right? But the impact of what you say or do may not match up with your intention. And so that's where we have to, as leaders, continue to be like emphasizing that intention through our words, through our actions, and make sure that we're repeating that so we can try to help others take their guard down at work and know that we mean what we say (laughs) when we want them to contribute, or when we want feedback, or when we say that we care about them, like those are all things that are kind of foreign messages that, from the expectation of what it is like to be in the workplace, have a leader, and what they're going to be, how they're going to be involved with us, I guess.
0: It's fascinating, isn't it? Because I mean, I get the whole like your intention and your impact not might not meet. And that other people will carry what they're feeling into the conversation, which will have the impact on how they receive the information and so on. But also, if your intention is to just show an inverted commas that you care, we'll also pick up on that. You know, that if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it and you don't mean it, But your intention is to kind of, oh, let me just get through this meeting, pretend to this person that I care about what they're talking about. I'm going to pick that up. And I think that's where people do themselves a disservice a lot is their
1: intention isn't pure. Absolutely. Well, and I think even beyond that, I think I believe that no person wants to make other people feel bad right and so the intention absolutely like we have to have that as like our motivating factor and if we don't have the intention around wanting to help people grow wanting to help people be successful then we have no place being in leadership that's just that's just a fact if you want to make more money and you don't want to like care about people then you need to like think about a different career because there are other ways to do that which I won't list right now because I don't want to cause some kind of false expectation but there are other ways to make more money and not have to interact with people or less but so if you want to be a leader and you care about people you have to get better at expressing it right and and you have to get better at recognizing your own stuff that's going to get in the way of you communicating how you actually feel about these people. And that includes navigating your own stress level, navigating the pressures that you're receiving from your leadership, and of course, also navigating your own personal stressors, right? And being aware of the unintended impact Some of the experiences that were surprisingly hurtful that I experienced in the workplace, and I use the phrase workplace hurt rather than microaggression and rather than like workplace trauma, because I think it's a broader description of what happens. And I think that both the term workplace trauma and the term microaggression bring with them a certain connotation that many folks will say, that's not for me. Like I don't fall into that category, whereas like workplace hurt, we've all experienced hurt, right? And this is just hurt that happens in the workplace. So one of the biggest experiences that I had that, again, I think came from unintended concept, like unintended impact was that I had a leader who now I was remote and she was kind of co-located with the rest of the employees. This is obviously before the pandemic, but she would regularly cancel our one-on-one, or regularly, be very late to our one-on-one, and as our relationship became more tenuous and like there was more tension, and I didn't feel as supported, et cetera, then that one behavior that was consistent kept informing me that I was not a priority, right? And it at that point it didn't matter how much she apologized, right? It, it it mattered that that action perpetuated and that continued to perpetuate the story in my head that said, my leader doesn't care about me and doesn't see my time as valuable.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a small thing in one way, but it's also not. And I think the perpetuation is something, yeah. And there's this guy that I was working with who was really tall. You know, quite tall and I suppose carries that demeanour of being in charge of command and control, even though not like that. And again, the unintended consequences for him often were people were afraid of him. And he's a gentle giant, but it was more that I'm a 20 something, you're in your 50s and I don't know if you're safe or not. And. I guess, yeah, just things that we don't think about and how we carry ourselves and how we just snap at somebody or not meaningless whatever everything has an impact and everything can have unintended as well as intended consequences and often the intended ones go out the window
1: right absolutely
0: and I think then as well the other thing was you know I used pure before the pure intention but I suppose it's more about sincerity you know Mm. that actually and like you said none of us get out of bed in the morning wanting to inflict harm on other people and if we do there's obviously no place for us in the workplace either well there is unfortunately I do think there are a few probably masquerading but I certainly felt like that at times but there is I suppose there's just the sincerity that you can bring to letting your own defenses down if you are a leader so that the other person doesn't have to put their defenses up. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to be command and control. And in fact, it's not really going to help.
1: Right. You know, I was seeing something recently where, you know, the specific definition of what we used to think a manager or a leader was supposed to be and like the messages that we would continue to get and control was one of the big words, right? I'm a millennial as more millennials continue to mature in the workplace. You know, fun fact, if you did not know millennials are no longer right out of college, we've now been in the workplace for a long time, et cetera. As more of us are, are, occupying more of the workplace we are demanding more right and and that's not to say that folks older than me or from other generations aren't demanding that same thing it's just as a collective right we are demanding more and that more is connection it's not necessarily more pay it's not necessarily more opportunity it's usually connection and meaning does my work mean anything my partner and I were just having this conversation last night about his work and how, you know, he made a decision to move into an area of tech that was in kind of the climate area, right? Because that work would give him more meaning, but his day to day is not giving him that meaning, right? He's too disconnected from the actual meaning of the work the company is doing. Right? So That's something else that like, as leaders, we could take that scenario, that specific experience, and be considering how can we create more meaning for our employees in their day-to-day work. And if I connect this back using some other words that might help resonate with other leaders, this is all about how we're told as leaders and especially as executives that we need to be conveying vision and values to our employees the vision and values, that is the pathway towards meaning for all of your employees to feel that connection to the mission of your company and and to the values, especially of your company. Because if your mission is maybe not noble and like, not super meaningful, but it is about like selling things and making money. Like that's okay. But like your values, that's where the meaning can come in. Right. So this level of transparency and then being able to say, okay, so being transparent means as a leader, I want to share with you some of my challenges. And as a leader, I also want to share with you what I'm observing in your behavior, employee, team, et cetera. And then team employee, I want you to share back with me, like. What are the problems and the faults in this policy, in this process, in how we take care of our customers, in our product, whatever that happens to be. But we don't take the time to articulate to our teams and in our day-to-day, what does that connection to mission, vision, values, what does that connection actually look like in practice? And that's frequently left up to the employees to make meaning. And that's a big lift if we don't see it.
0: Huge. And it brings me back to something else you talked about earlier on, which is this, the mind-body disconnect in a way, because I think it's kind of coming back to that, because what you said was you interviewed whatever and and we do this like lots of people would know this you have this wonderful time you meet people you're all excited about going into the organization and suddenly your felt lived experience is different so they were able to convince you of their vision and values but the reality was they're not living them when you get in the door and that's a huge disconnect and How? I mean, I know you've said a bit there what we could do, but do you think people even recognize it, Katie? Do you think that leaders and teams are aware that they are not walking their talk?
1: I think holistically and as a whole, leaders are not aware. And I think. I think our leaders are just too saturated right? They have too much on their plate. They're managing too many people. And 60% of managers have had no manager training. And if they have had manager training, it's probably in compliance related things, right? It's probably in how to use the PTO system, right? Like how to use the performance review system. It's all systems and, and compliance related. And it's not about this interpersonal communication. And even beyond interpersonal communication, It's not about self-awareness, boundary setting, managing your time as a leader. Like what is the expectation of you as a leader in terms of how much time you are spending with your employees and developing them, right? We need to completely flip our expectation of how much time leaders should be spending in different buckets of tasks.
0: Absolutely. And I think then the point there is if you're not developed yourself, you're never going to be able to develop others. So the system perpetuates itself.
1: Yes. Right. And, you know, then I've worked in a lot of I love the startup and tech world, partially because there's so much possibility. And I love possibility. That makes me very excited. Unfulfilled possibility happens when, you know, when we're just walking, we're not walking that talk. And many folks who start their own company, which then leads to a startup that then hires bunches of people, they may have never been also educated or trained or coached on how to make that transition from being the person in their house, their garage, whatever, who's building this thing by themselves to now you are an executive leading multiple other executives and trying to set strategy and trying to not get in the weeds where that's not your job anymore. And and so it just creates, again, this, like you said, this self-fulfilling prophecy where we have leaders, executives who don't have any development, but now they have this experience on their resume, which looks good to future employers. And so there's this expectation, oh, you're an executive, you must not actually need leadership training, right? I definitely had a a VP of HR say that when I was trying to advocate for all the executives going through the same leadership training that their leaders were going through. And we just make too many assumptions about what leaders know and don't know and the skills they have. And it's really a disservice to the company as a whole.
0: It is. And then I also think about checking references because the reference for the person you're getting the reference from. You know, how do you know that they know anything? I like, I I find that the whole, that system is broken. I think how we Mm -hmm. recruit people that we spend all of this time and energy trying to attract people in, like you said, sell them this great picture. Then we bring Mm -hmm. them in and we go right off you go. Right. We're not going to help you with anything. Just hit the ground running and please don't bother me.
1: (laughs) We have too much to do. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I think about how, you know, how do we start to fix that? Right. Like I'm, I'm very action oriented. I've got def- I, I use the phrase bias for action a lot, which I got from a former employer, but you know, how do we start to fix that? And it's like, you know, my mind goes towards, you know, do we de- try to have them submit what would be confidential data about like their past performance review or their in engagement scores as a leader, right? Nobody would share that. Many leaders don't have access to that after they've left a company. Many leaders never see their engagement scores. So that's another problem. Then my mind went to, okay, well, we have to get better at interviewing, right? Because we still rely on bad questions to tell us that somebody is a good person (laughs) rather than they have skills. A behavioral-based interview is a Like, kind of scenario based interview. So, in that way, you ask, okay, if you were in a scenario where you had a team that was not performing, how would you approach that scenario to make change? Right? It's an open ended question. There's a scenario, and you're asking them to provide an answer. And generally, that will help you, like, as an interviewer, weed out, okay, this person A doesn't know how to deal with that, or B, they kind of like didn't sound confident or like sounded like they were grasping at straws or whatever, right? But then I think about the people who are really good at interviewing, right? Interviewing is a skill. You can be coached on how to interview. There's a ton of lists of possible questions people could be asking you, right? Like you can prepare. And so that made me think about like, okay, maybe that would still be imperfect in terms of how do we deal with this? And so I guess my, my final thought came to when I've applied for coaching or training related roles, I was required to do a, a simulation, right? I had to prepare something to teach something. Where are the simulations for leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe there should be a, a team conflict or like you've been asked to deliver bad news to a team right here's the bad news we need to deliver to this team and but quote unquote everybody says i hate role playing when in fact like role playing is i think one of the single best skill development tools <laughs> that we have and they're really not that scary like bad facilitators have made them scary because they haven't made them safe and that is what we need to do more in the workplace is making everything safer right like allowing people to bring down their defenses, bring down their walls and and see this as a development opportunity. Wow. Yeah, it's, it, you know, they're like,
0: I love what you're suggesting and the cynic in me, <laughs> I can't help but it's coming out at the moment, just going, where do you draw the line? Where do you start with a process like this? And I think it does take a leader who says, you know what? So, someone like you or me probably who is responsible for people and we say this is how we do things around mm. here going forward. These are the the values that we walk and talk and this is we're gonna do things a bit differently. It's not how we've always done it. It doesn't have to be, you know, right. let's experiment, let's have fun, let's actually go out and make waves mm. in
1: different ways. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that there's like so much expectation that like, we have to do it all ourselves. Right. And like asking for help is like a a bad thing. Right. It's still seen that way in terms of like an employee asking their leader for help. Like I have too much on my plate. Right. Like that, that can be looked down upon. It shouldn't be, that should actually be seen as a strength, but that's one of those systemic changes that needs to happen. And, and I agree with you. Like That in order to actually create change, we need to have somebody who is objective, right? And at the same time, though, and I'm curious, like your thoughts on this too, Susan, I've had somebody ask me if I was being hired by an an executive team to help promote change. Doesn't that mean that I would put the executive team's goals and priorities above the the needs of the people in the organization
0: what exactly do you mean by that or did they
1: so like if the executive team was asking me to ignore some data or not talk to certain people right or okay I get you yeah right Yeah.
0: yeah
1: right like would that unduly influence me and the work that I would do And I'm curious, like, does that bring up anything for you, Susan? Because I'm sure that you have the same scenario where, like, it's the leaders who are bringing you in. (laughs) So,
0: yeah, I, I have no interest in playing games. (laughs) it is going to be transparent and obviously not everyone needs to know everything but I'm not uh, certainly not going to manipulate anything to serve somebody's interest and I would make that very clear from the beginning this is not what I'm here to do I'm here to help you make change not the change you want to make (laughs) But the change that needs to be made in order for the organization to change. Right. And one of the things I remember actually when I left my last job, one of the people said that to me, that I was very good at standing up for what I believed in and not being swayed. And not in a way that, that I don't listen to other people's, but, you know, I think ethically and morally, if you don't do the right thing,
1: then what's the Mm -hmm. point right i i completely agree that's where it comes back to for me that yes i want to see i work with the leaders and the executives because that's where systemic change comes from but i i can't help but feel like i'm mostly in service to the everyday employee and and that's not just to say that it's not about also transforming the experience of working at your company for those leaders and for the executives. They have a right to be happier at work too. And, and so it's it's really about this holistic system change and mindset change and social change that needs to happen. And I think more and more leaders are are becoming less less afraid of that, right? Like they're starting to realize that we need to make change and it's hard and they're not sure how. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and I think as well, well, I lost what I was thinking about. Never mind, (laughs) it'll come back or won't. Maybe it wasn't that important. But there was something (laughs) you said earlier on as well about speaking, using your body without using words. Now, words I know are something that you're really passionate about as well. And we can express ourselves, I suppose, without using words but also without knowing the right words to use and many words we do use can have multiple meanings. On one of the trainings I do I talk to people about the word equity because Mm. if you're in finance equity is what the shareholders have in the business but if you're in HR equity is about the equality in the business or whatever and Mm -hmm. so actually people can really speak at cross purposes without realizing it because we're too busy to check for understanding as well Mm -hmm.
1: but I know this is something you like as well Katie yeah I mean I also think that the way that we use vocabulary in the English language especially because I'm I don't speak fluently any other language, so I can't speak to another language. But especially in the English language, we have started to condense meaning of multiple words into single words. And as a result, that becomes super problematic because when we say that word, like you said, we might be meaning a number of different things. And that can also be influenced by our cultural upbringing folks who are non-native English speakers aren't going to understand some context in the same way that native English speakers might. I know that there's vocabulary that Susan, you would use and, and folks from the UK and Ireland would use that would be different than what I as an American would use. And that can create challenges or conflict. But yeah, I think that we don't spend enough time checking for understanding, like you said. And I've found that when I try to check for understanding in in people that I lead, that usually using some kind of Socratic method asking a question, they can interpret that as like a quiz, right? or an interrogation, right? Because we're just not practiced at checking for understanding. And so I often incur for the most part, I when I was teaching and coaching, You know, sales reps and customer support reps. When I was teaching and coaching them, I would almost always ask them to check for understanding. And all of us in the workplace need that skill set. That should be part of all training for all employees and all team members, because that is one of the most powerful tools that we have towards, you know, building coalitions and shared understanding that helps us fast track productivity, performance, and so on, right? When we keep going round and round thinking we're all meaning the same thing, that just creates more swirl, right?
0: Yeah, more confusion and more, and conflict probably as well, because yeah, I go off and I work on what I think you want. And and I come back three weeks later and, you know, yeah. Right.
1: Meanwhile, I'm thinking you haven't done the work, right? What have you been doing for three weeks? Why did it take you three weeks? Right? You know, that's one of the big challenges that I have faced as a leader in my career is knowing that the pace or speed at which I might complete something because of my past experience doing that before my existing skill set, that is not something necessarily that my employees have. So it's going to take them longer than I think it's going to take them. And, and that's, I think, one of the big disconnects we forget about.
0: Absolutely. And it. if we go back to earlier on when we talked about emotions and what we bring into the office and our experiences as well, could be I might be a perfectionist and I triple check everything. Or there's so many different ways that we procrastinate. Even when we look busy, we're researching it to death or whatever it might be. We all have our way of approaching work. And that's really important to understand as well. I think for a a leader and team members, everybody will approach the same piece of work in their way. Yep. And understanding who does what enables you then to put the right people together to do the right thing as well. And yeah, like it's fascinating. We really don't spend enough time thinking about behavior. And what is underneath the behavior of people, we're too easy to dismiss, oh God, Katie's just lazy or Susan takes way too long or Susan never gives us a straight answer, whatever it is, but mm. we're not understanding the driver of those behaviors. And I think, right. I think that is probably the future of work is without analyzing it to death, you know, either. That's the problem, isn't it? We try and checklist everything or make it into a system or a policy when actually it's really about the human to human connection, which is right. why millennials, you tell me you're looking for, believe me, the ex-gen are looking for it too. <laughs> totally. Yeah, <laughs> so no, no, I, I know, I know.
1: <laughs> yeah. When I think about meaning in my business and and what if change and effect I want to see on the world as a ripple effect, when we are happier at work, When we have these skill sets where we can better communicate, collaborate, understand each other, we're going to have happier families. Then we're going to have happier communities, right? We all want to see a better world. And I think the biggest thing comes from a sense of caring, right? And, And a sense of turning down our own expectations, our own assumptions that people are out to get us or that you know, everybody is the same and has the same motivations when we're all individuals. And again, I do believe that everyone wants to have a a good life, wants to be, wants to be happy, wants to feel connected and doesn't want to enter the world, like making everybody miserable.
0: Absolutely. And the caring thing, and I think this might be coming back to what I thought about earlier, because I would feel very, very, very closely aligned to what you say. And that's kind of what gets me out of bed every morning and what I believe in. And the caring, I think we often, obviously I can't say this for everybody, but we tend to maybe care about ourselves and our impressions and our Reputation and all of that too much. And one of the things that I remember doing, and this is, relates to theater, I think, and how theater is so powerful is I did an improv session and I volunteered to get stuck into the session. And the guy said to us, Look, you know, I'm going to throw crazy scenarios at you and whatever, you know, go with it and make sure that you respond to your partner in a way that makes them look good. Yes. And when you have that in your head, then nothing is about you. You're actually just responding to them. So they don't look like an idiot, you know,
1: because, you know, they're going to do the same for you. Right. Yeah. That is one of those like core. Lessons, I would say that that we can pull, especially from improv and theater as a whole. Is all about the ensemble. At least that's how I was educated in the theater, that like we are all required in order to make this thing happen. And so there's a sense of appreciation for the people who take tickets, right? And the people who are on stage, the people who are dressing you, doing your makeup, whatever that happens to be. But it's not just about the actors who should get accolades, right? And yeah, this whole like ensemble, when we, work towards something together, which I think really relates to teams and the workplace, right? And if we're out to make other people look better, that all speaks to how can I help you be successful in business? And then if I'm helping you be successful, I'm contributing to the business's bottom line, right? There's that disconnect that this feeling that if we care about our people more or invest more in our people, make them happier, that that is misaligned with our business outcomes and it is it is the core of our business outcomes
0: (laughs) it is it is the core of our business outcomes and it's back to the systemic it's the world we live in it's how the capitalist model has developed how the workplaces have developed around that and how society functions in a way society is very 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 broken in most countries in the world and yeah, we have happier people at work. We'll have happier families, happier communities, happier societies, happier countries, happier world. Yep. And, and you know, and people will say, oh, well, it's just work. But actually what I say to that is you spend most of your adult life and your week at work. So why not make it work that matters? Mm-hmm. Make meaning from it and make the world a better place. And it doesn't like it might sound like pie in the sky but it's not it really isn't it cannot be that difficult to turn the titanic totally maybe not the titanic isn't the right example you know what I mean
1: (laughs) totally (laughs) but getting back to that just for a, a moment there's I mentioned before about how like potentially the mission of a company is not the most meaningful, right? We sell widgets or we sell whatever. But when we seek meaning in the day-to-day connections, and when we think about how can I help make this other person better? How can I make them look good? That feels good too, right? Getting into service is often a really important tool used in mental health spaces around helping you to feel better too. There's a lot of data out there about how when we serve others, we feel better, right? And so, you know, we're all interacting with people every day and we're all doing work essentially in service to somebody else. So what if we brought that attention to the work that we do and the, and make that meaning for ourselves? I'm building this widget so that someone else can enjoy it, or I'm writing this email So that someone else has the information they need, right? Like if we just start to change our perspective, just like a degree, imagine how much difference there would be down the road.
0: And that then circles really nicely back to what are your mind and body saying together at work? Because if you're, you know, slouched over your desk, when you're writing that email, there is no way you can care. Mm-hmm. if you recognize that and start to breathe and you can shift it and and i think the other thing is when you shift how you look at things things do change they do it's crazy it's like a, it is crazy but it happens because yeah. you're you're looking at the world in a different way and the world responds in that mm. way back at you Yeah. Katie, I could talk to you all day into the next day and the following day. (laughs) And I'm delighted. Katie reached out to me on LinkedIn and on a post and said, Hey, I think we should talk. And we did. And I'm so happy that you did that. So thank you so much for doing that. And if anyone else would like to reach out to me, please do go ahead and do that. Now, before you go, Katie, this podcast is being recorded in advance. Not not specifically, but in advance of you getting married. So you're getting married in October.
1: Yes, I am. Yep. And then we're going to spend, we're taking a good long break from work and we're going to spend some time visiting Australia afterwards.
0: Excellent. How exciting. Whereabouts?
1: Kind of all over the the eastern coast of Australia. So we're going to spend some time up in the Great Barrier Reef and Melbourne and Sydney, of course. So I'm very excited.
0: Excellent. I lived out in Australia for two years about it more for us to talk about way back in 2000. It's a long time ago. The country is still like it exists, but I'm sure it's changed utterly in that time. Mm. Katie, thank you so much for your time. And if somebody would like to connect with you, what is the best way of finding you?
1: So you can reach me at my website, McLaughlinMethod.com, which I'm sure we're going to put in the show notes and please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I love to collaborate with folks and I'm always sharing nuggets and ideas for how you can implement things today to make a better workplace.
0: Absolutely. Check Katie's website out. There are fantastic blogs in there and it really comes across that you care. Yes. It's just wonderful. It come, it lifts off the page, and you just, yeah, you get that feeling. So, Katie, thanks again for your time, and all the best next month. I have hope you have a fantastic wedding day, and all the best in the thank future. Thank you,
1: thank you so much, and thank you again for this great conversation.
0: Anytime. <laughs> all right. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review. So that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.